Hi, everyone. This is Chris Lin with the Theotech Podcast, and today I'm excited to have on the show John, who is the founder of the Spark Development Network, uh, who are the creators behind Rock RMS, a church management system centered on people. And uh, today we're going to talk about the origin story of the church management system and how God called John from his work in the corporate world into this journey of faith. John, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, can we go ahead and hear the story of where you came from and how God inspired you to build this product and this team and, uh, the, the story of where God's taken it since you started, uh, till now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's always hard to know where to start a story. Um, for the longest time I came out of college, went to work for Honeywell, which is a very exciting, uh, organization to work with. Uh, and God had me at, from the very beginning, even though I didn't know it on a journey, and uh, I learned a lot at Honeywell, uh, got to see a lot of amazing things, got invested in, and, and uh, again, just such a blessing to work there. Uh, but then one of the reoccurring patterns in my life is that, is that God sometimes makes things happen that I'm not ready for. And I have no idea uh, how I'm going to get to a certain place, but uh, a certain situation came up at Honeywell where uh, they were going to get purchased by General Electric. And mm. because of that, they didn't need a lot of us in the corporate area. So they said, hey, guys, you know, we're probably going to get rid of you guys, but don't worry, you get a good package. And so we sat around for a couple months waiting for those things to happen. And they were right. We got an amazing package and it allowed me to go out and find other opportunities. And the opportunity I found during that time was to volunteer with my church. And uh, I also did some freelancing, which allowed me to pay off some debt. Uh, and that led to a, an opening or a job at the church, which mm. I couldn't have, there's no way I could have afforded that if it wasn't for that generous package. Mm -hmm. And so God kind of had me learning at Honeywell. Then he had me transitioning to working at a church. And I honestly thought I'd be there for six months and I'd kind of clean up a few things. I would get bored. They would get bored with me and I could go find something else. I thought it was a temporary assignment from God, mm -hmm. but he had different, um, uh, things in mind. And uh, it was a wild ride. I was there for 13 years. And while I started just doing basic IT stuff, I, I had a passion from Honeywell of, of just e-commerce and, and e-business. Mm. So I wanted to bring those practices and principles uh, to the church. And um, it wasn't long before we were writing code. It wasn't long before we had a product that other people wanted. Hmm. And that went down a product um, story where we actually sold that to another company as a church we weren't quite ready for open source back then and oh. um but we learned a lot and we learned that that wasn't the best thing for us at the time and so we created a new uh, project called rock rms which rms stands for relationship management system mm. uh, so it's a church management really just passionate about people like you said and uh this time we said no we're doing this open source and we're going to do it in the community environment and uh took about eight years to get from that launching point to today, but that's kind of where we are today. Today, there's about 650 churches running Rock. That's open source, so you don't you know, technically have to pay, We, but we do operate off of donations, so we couldn't mm -hmm. do what we did if it, people didn't give back. Um, but it's a, definitely a different model. Tell me more about what uh, influenced your thinking so that after your first product, you guys realized you wanted to open source Rock RMS. Yeah, it, I, I, I think... Working with churches is unique in, in, a, in a lot of great ways. Um, one of the things that we wanted that we saw as a failure point was the innovation. Once it was purchased, there's just, a, in our opinion, the innovation kind of stopped. I see. 
Uh, also, I think to be successful working with ministries because they change so much is you have to be in the trench. And so coming out of the trench, working at, at Christ Church of Valley in, in Peoria, uh, we knew that was our secret sauce. Like we were in the trenches with ministries, not just CCV, but CCV worked with a lot of other churches. And so we wanted to create a community. And I think what's unique today is that we still work in those trenches. Uh, I'm working with people at, at, at various churches uh, every day. And, um, but the funding model also has to be different. One of our top core values at Spark is accessibility. And it actually kind of pained me that we put all of our effort into this product and then it couldn't be afforded by many of the churches that needed it most. Mm. And especially small churches. I, I feel like, you know, back then there was like a, an unlevel playing field that these small churches that were quite innovative and, and had talent, technical talent to do some of these things. They couldn't afford the the price to get that that tool that they needed. And so we said, well, whatever we do, we want to make sure it's accessible. And that's why uh, payment is a is an option. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's an important option, but it's our blessing to give it to a church that can't afford it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, we also rely on the churches that can't afford it to fund it. So yeah, tell me more about that funding model where it's kind of unique because you have, I think you have the open source project, the Spark Development Network Community, which is donation funded. And then you have your um, consulting arm, which is like a for-profit entity. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. We, we work with all of our accountants and attorneys to make sure that we get the organization all structures correct. We kind of joke that um, orange is our brand color for rock, but we never want to be wearing it in prison. So <laughs> we want to make sure everything is above board and, and whatever they tell us to do, we do. So yeah, um, the project is open source. We, it's hosted in GitHub every day. Our commits are all put in, out there publicly. Um, there is a you know, installable version that makes it a little easier. You can also pay to get it hosted for you if you want nothing to do with all those technical things. Um, and then we have a uh, encourage people to, to, to donate uh, a certain amount based on the number of people who go to their church. And what that does is it grants you access to the latest version, um, you know, right away. If you want to, to do the hosted version, but you don't want to donate, then, you know, your version behind, which is a year behind on, on the versions. We can still keep it secure. We still keep it, you know, the bugs patched, but you don't get the newest features. Um, but if you're a church that, that simply can't afford it, we do have a grant process too. So uh, mm. you, you can go through the grant process and 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 still get access to the latest features. So it, it's really been a blending of making sure that we're accessible, but at the same time we can fund this development of this products. It is, you know, it just takes a lot of resources. Um, yeah. We have a development team that we have to make sure that they're taken care of and um, they're, they're uh, you know, dedicated to just writing Rock RMS. Mm -hmm. So there is their funding primarily coming through those donations or is it through like special contracts with major church customers that can fund custom development or like what's yeah, that a, mix look like? That's a great question. Yeah, it is a mix. So, you know, we take the donations and that funds what we call like our core features, but then churches have the uh, ability to come to us and say, hey, I want to engage in a, in a consultation. Here's an idea for a feature we want. And uh, you know, our first assessment is making sure that's a feature we, we actually want in the core product. Mm. If not, we can do a plugin. So it's a it's kind of like a WordPress environment where you can have plugins and we have mm -hmm. a, an app store built in that you can download the plugins. Um, but for the most part, you know, those things are things that people would want. And so we we can basically fund a feature and we put it into Rock. And then the good thing is everybody gets that feature. You know, one mm. church invests, but then everybody gets to take advantage of those features. 
So I would say that the features are about 50-50. You know, some 50% are funded, 50% are, are just come from the core donations. I see. But that is definitely a really powerful network effect uh, of, you know, the benefit of that work that, that NRE, that non-recurring engineering work does go to the product that helps everybody else as well. So it is a great collaboration for churches that can afford it to get a blessing for themselves for their work, but also bless other ministries through that too. Yeah. And working with some of these churches, I'm surprised at how many come to us and say, Hey, we're going to, we want to engage with you to do this, this feature, but we want you to tell us, is there anything that we could change about our requirements that would be make it more useful to the big C church? And if so, mm -hmm. we'll actually help fund a little bit more to make it more accessible so that it's done right for the, for everybody. And mm -hmm. that generosity is, I, I think it's, only going to be seen inside the the church space. Like you're never going to see competitors saying, "Hey, if you charge me a little bit more to help my other competitors, you know, do better <laughs> with the product." But churches don't have that spirit, and that's it's that's one of the best parts of my job. Mm, that collaborative spirit. You had yeah. mentioned to me, um, I think the first time that I met you, uh, you said something about how God's accounting doesn't work, quote unquote. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Oh gosh, um, it just doesn't pencil out. Rock RMS doesn't pencil out. If you go back to, you know, the, the small team of us that started this, the team of developers uh, that, you know, that, of us developers who who wrote this, and then what we have, it just, there's no way we could claim any credit for that. Hmm. One of the things we did early on in our development is whenever you load a page in Rock, if you go view the source, at the very top, it says, to God be the glory. And... Man, is that true? Because if you look at all of the growth and all the success that Rock has had, we we cannot take credit for that at all. Um, God, His economy doesn't work that way. And, and even in our personal lives, like when I took a, the job at the church, I was making much less money, mm -hmm. but I was never as richly blessed. Not mm -hmm. always financially, but financially too. But if you just trust God and give Him control over it, it's amazing what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt that way in my own entrepreneurial journey where it's not as financially lucrative, but there's outcomes that God produced that could never have happened otherwise. And there is a, a sense of spiritual satisfaction, I think, that uh, I couldn't, you can't, money can't buy that. Um, right. And sometimes it's hard in my entrepreneurial journey to like, to, to, to experience that and still feel like, uh, you know, that, that passage uh, where Jesus says, no one is fit for the kingdom if they put their hand to the plow and turn back kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You can feel kind of like, oh, turning back, looking back or something. Um, but but it's undeniable when I look back at how God has sustained Theotech, for example, um, that I, I'm i just amazed. I don't know how God did it. And the fruit mm -hmm. of it in the relationships and, uh, and in the products and everything like that that could come. I think I, I really resonate with what you're sharing about Rock RMS's story as well. Well, we, we talk about that quite a bit in meetings because sometimes we'll develop a little side thing, like a, a maybe a little bit of training. And we're like, hey, well, should we make that like a pay for thing? But we always say, hey, you can't outgive God. And, and the more we just release that stuff for free, the more we just get back incredible blessings. Mm -hmm. Is the primary developer of Rock RMS people on payroll with Spark Development Network? Or yeah. are they are they also like open source contributors who are just random developers working in these churches and stuff and wanting to enhance the core product? Yeah, it's mainly the the people focused on on Rock 100 percent of the time. We do have some open source contributors in mm -hmm. our community, um, and they're great, but they're very uh, few and far between. And, and a lot of that has to do with like the technical requirements to understanding how Rock is developed. 
um, we can't just take pull requests from just anybody because it goes into the to the core product that is used by 650 churches and we inherit those issues that get developed. Yeah. But I would say that those that are doing it right now are doing an incredible job. Um, mm-hmm. And they, you know, we, we take pull requests from uh, people working at churches uh, who have development skills. Um, but it is, it is harder to maintain the quality if you don't have the training that takes the investment of time to, yeah. to do. So there's a few in the community who, who do that and who are really great. Yeah. But not just anybody can just step in, do a pull request and... What is the stack that you guys are building on? So we're on the a .NET stack. Uh, okay. And we're currently in transition. Right now we're in, in more of an older .NET stack and we're moving to .NET Core with uh, mm-hmm. basically a, a Vue.js front end. Okay, I see. So how do you how do you actually recruit developers for... For the Spark Development Network, where are they? Are they remote? Or are they all local to where you guys are located? Or um... we have a we have a blend. Um, we prefer in person. Just the collaboration is 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 easier. Uh, although we do have some very successful people working with us remotely on the development side. Mm-hmm. Um, it is hard though because we do want to make sure that we have a uh, cultural fit, we have a mission yeah. fit, and then you know we we do try to pay market wages. So at least. You know, we have that in our favor. When I worked at the church, that often was not in our favor. Yeah. And that was that made it even harder. Yeah. Um, but making sure that we have a cultural fit and a mission fit is is super important for us. And what is uh what would you say is that culture or mission fit? Like, you know, if if this episode is going to be used to help you recruit people who are listening or something, what's your uh what is your developer pitch? Yeah, well, the first thing we warn people is like we're serious about what we do. We believe that churches deserve the best technology on the planet and they're not getting it. And not, and even from us, like we're not happy with our game. We've upped mm-hmm. our game and we're really proud about our accomplishments. Mm-hmm. But I tell people we're climbing Mount Everest and we're about a third of the way up. Mm-hmm. And we love to climb. It's just built into us. Like we work, yeah. love to work hard. So if you're the kind of person who likes to go into a locker room with their jersey all messed up and, and dirty, great. You'll love it here. Um, but... You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to work a lot of hours. Like we, we, we want to maintain a, a good work balance, but in the eight or so hours that you're focused on, on, on doing rock RMS, we just, we're fanatical about, about, you know, productivity and just getting stuff done so that we can service the church in a way that they're not being serviced today. Mm-hmm. What do you think is that vision that you have for what the top of Mount Everest looks like when it comes to church technology? Yeah, that's that's a good question too. Um, my honest answer is God shows us uh, it as we go, but right now it, it's around radical pers- uh, personalization in terms of making sure that we can service each person um, uniquely because we're ne- uniquely and wonderfully made, mm. um, and so we want to service those people each each congregant um, in a personalized way. We want to give insights into the church. Um, one thing about us, I think is different about other systems is we um, we know we need to give administrative features to churches, right? We got to please the staff of the church so that they can do their job in an efficient and productive way. Mm. But we're radically uh, passionate about ministry features. We really want to make sure that, you know, we're providing tools that can help someone grow closer to Christ mm. and help churches do digital strategies and do digital ministry um, in unique and, and creative ways. And so right now we're, we're working on a lot of tools to increase our personalization. We, right now we do great personalization, but we're trying to take it to the next level. 
Um, and what so, are the what are those digital ministry tools? Like you drew a distinction between administrative and ministry. What does that look like? Practically, like is that the staff using it, or is it the congregant using it, or mainly the congregant, but but also enabling the staff member or the pastor to have like augmented knowledge of of their of their people. So if you think think of them as shepherds, like well, we need to make sure that they they know their sheep and not as a flock. That's that that's important, but also as individual sheep. And mm. so you know the power of Rock is that we have a lot of great data. But we can also, it's a rich content management system. So you can build websites um, on it that are very personalized. Uh, you can build mobile apps that are very personalized and getting into other avenues like, you know, you know TV. Um, so we can just take this data that's always been caged up inside the database and release it out so that we can empower people's spiritual growth. So by personalized, do you mean that like if I visit my personal webpage for a church, I get some like scripture and video content that's relevant to my situation? Is it like that, or what, yeah, it's personalized there. It's about content for sure. That's that's what we're we're really um, focusing on now. But what some of the other things that's very personalized that we've already kind of you know solved is like, well, if you're baptized, let's not encourage you to get baptized. Like let's encourage you okay. to, to change the messaging a little bit to say, hey, do you have a neighbor who maybe you think you think could could uh need to know about baptism? Okay, I see. Yeah. And it, it seems like every church has like their next steps process. And so mm. let's track that, make a dashboard. Let's show them what steps they've they've taken. Let's tell them what how to take the next step. Um, you know, mm -hmm. how do I how do I sign up for that class or how do I um, you know, register for baptism. Um, so it's really taking that data that we have about people and just making it useful. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have like two questions from that, and I, I don't know which one's more interesting to explore first. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the one of them is probably just more generic, which is, you know, how do you guys think about data privacy? That's a big topic nowadays. Um, and securing that and who has access to it and do congregants want their pastors to know that much about them? How do you guys think mm -hmm. about that question? Yeah, we talk about that a lot. I think there's a short-term strategy, which is definitely protect. In fact, some of the, we do assessments that you, you can have assessments done in rocks. There's personality assessments, there's growth uh, assessments, spiritual gifts assessments. We're working on some other assessments that where the results really need to be private, that it's no one's business but the person. And the only reason why we need to know about it or want to know about it is so that we can personalize the content for them. Like knowing where you are in your spiritual path is really important so that we can get you the right content for where you are today. And also maybe help you with some of the barriers that you might have uh, in, you know, impacting your future. So we really need to know that, but those assessments will be very private. And, um, and so privacy is a, is a big topic in the short term. Mm -hmm. But I also think about it in the long term, and it's kind of more on the radical side, but I think the industry is kind of going this way too, is like, hey, it's not it's not your data. It used to be churches would buy the system. Well, it's our database, like our data. Mm. And I think that's going to pivot, and, and pretty soon you're going to see like, well, it's the person's data, and they can detach that data, put it in a container uh, on their phone or something, and take it to another church and plug it in and say, okay, I trust you now with this data. So mm. I want you, I want you to know my baptism date. I want you to know that I've been in in uh, small groups or community groups. I want you to know my um, giving patterns because you can help me uh, formulate my spiritual pathways knowing this this data. But but the minute I don't trust or the minute I want to change, I can turn that off. 
And so churches will be paying for like a framework where people mm. can plug their data into. That reminds me of uh, Tim Berner, Sir Tim Berners-Lee's uh, Inrupt startup where he's trying to enable users to own their own data. He was the mm -hmm. creator of the World Wide Web and then this is his kind of new iteration on that. And Or, or makes me think of like portable electronic health records. Yeah. Um, is that something that then exists? Like, how does the user actually own their data in that case? Is it still stored on a rocked RMS database and gets transferred between instances? Or well, just to be clear, that you're painting. Th or? These are the visions that we're painting. We don't we okay. don't have that today. Um, I think the first thing it has to there has to be a trusted platform that's that the person sees is on their side that says I can trust this container, and I can move it over to this other container because that. And then all the systems have to be able to to support that container. Like right now, if Rock did it, that's great. But that requires that the other church have has Rock too, which may not be the case. Uh huh. So yeah. it has to be like a portable format, format. contract that, that everybody follows. Mm -hmm. um, but I think definitely our grandchildren are going to look back at us and laugh and think, "Well, what do you mean you didn't own your social media posts and you couldn't pull them?" Like they're gonna, like. Yeah, that was so primitive. Like, how would, why would you ever do that? Well, I mean, honestly, like now that we're talking about on this conversation, it makes me understand a little bit better what uh, GDPR was trying to do for the EU. I, I kind of mm -hmm. disliked it because I'm a, more of a technologist. So I thought, mm -hmm. EU, if you care about privacy, give everyone VPN, you know, things like that. But <laughs> I kind of see it from the policy angle, too, is that you may not be able to have a technological solution ready so you can use law and policy to kind of force companies to say, you don't own the data, the user owns the data. You have to let them erase it. You have to let them export it and then etc and through the law they they're trying to implement a mechanism for creating you know supporting that vision it sounds like um yeah the and, themes of that are great it's just the implementation even when we talk with the lawyers today about figuring out how to implement gdpr they're like well we don't know and we won't know until there, it goes through litigation and it's like well that's a great way to create you know technical policies or technical ideas <laughs> I, I i'm kind of a, i'm in agreement with you it's it, it was well-intentioned and probably has a lot of side effects that are not going to be figured out until it gets litigated. But um, hopefully the tech side and the policy side, because I think that the technology side, we might invent new technologies that do make it possible, kind of like what uh, Inrupt, the startup that I mentioned earlier, is trying to do. And I know mm -hmm. people, I, I'm not an expert on this, but I know people are claiming that blockchain might help with this somehow too, to right. have some real sense of identity that a person can own. Although I don't really know how that would work. Mm -hmm. But uh it would be very exciting to kind of get to that future because I've felt at least if the medical system could implement this, I thought churches are similar in a sense, right? There's very confidential data. You only really want not any staff reading it, but like probably maybe your pastor, you're okay with reading it and you may want to be able to erase it or share it. And so this seems like a similar area that uh, there might be some cross cross pollination there. Yeah. I think it's going to be a, a little bit of a culture wake up, as that starts to shift, because we've been so used to, I buy the database, I pay for the database, therefore the data in the database is mine. And I I, I'm guilty of that too. I'm not you know, throwing stones, but as that gradually goes over to the other side, it says, I pay for the database and I, I, I get to have access temporarily to people's data if they enable that is, mm -hmm. is different. Yeah, it's a very big paradigm shift, isn't it? Not yeah. only for the technologists, but for the people who are hosting their instances, uh, their software. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the second question that I wanted to ask um, is, how do you guys think theology of technology-wise and live into the tension of the dynamism of the Holy Spirit and the processes that churches try to create for discipleship? Uh, you yourself mentioned how climbing that Mount Everest vision of what really excellent church software could look like is something that is spirit-led. 
and it's mm -hmm. not something you guys can really predict or project necessarily. And it seems like that definitely applies to people's personal spiritual lives too, is that so often it's not a church program that makes a disciple as much as the Holy Spirit's working in their life and their circumstances brings people who are also led by the Spirit to speak scripture and other things into their lives and, and people grow that way. So how, how do you guys think about in the design of your software that tension between the dynamism of the Spirit and these processes and programs that churches try to create to, to make disciples? Yeah, and that speaks to our core architecture, which is extensibility. Everything in Rock is is super extensible. Uh, we call it like a Lego kit with like you know a billion pieces. It comes out of the box assembled in one way, but you can take it all apart. Yeah, every page you can redesign and and add different blocks to it. Um, so extensibility is a is a huge key to what we do, and we learned that because even working for just one church, we know mm -hmm. that it was so dynamic that if we wrote things in concrete, we'd be just be rewriting the same things over and over. And that's really helped as we went out to more churches is that extensibility. The other thing as it relates to theology is, you know, we, a, we stay out of that. Um, we feel like there's, if you look at God's creation, diversity is probably one of the biggest characteristics of that. So we had to make sure everything is diverse that our, our strategies are diverse and, and can, and can fulfill the mission of, you know, thousands of pastors, because mm -hmm. we, we really think digital strategy, there's a lot of technologies that we can help assist and provide guidance on, but the mission comes from God to the pastor that has, and then we have to support that mission. So it's not us saying digital strategy looks like this. Mm. It's God's told you digital strategy looks like this, or your ministry looks like this. Here's how we can support that strategy through technology. Um, and also too, we were just talking about, you know, some assessments we're working on and, you know, some people on our team are asking, what about you know, some of the theology differences between churches? And it's like, mm. hey, the kind of like content that we need to be working on for personalization is really at the very bottom set of, of the theological understandings, right? We're not getting a master's of divinity and, you know, level concepts in our personalization. We're, we're, we're down where most of us are, which is the basics of Christianity. Um, and so we don't need to weigh too much into that. There'll be some, you know, levers that churches can pull to adjust mm -hmm. it a bit, but for the most part, we're not talking about anything that would be objectionable by any mainstream yeah. church. I think I, when I meant theology of technology, I wasn't referring more to the doctrines of a specific denomination as much as just that uh, that tension. I, I myself feel as a technologist where um, technology is a lever to try mm -hmm. to you know standardize a process and have people go through that. And then it's easy for a church um, to kind of think of, okay, how many baptisms do we have? How many butts and seats do we have? How many people mm -hmm. have done this program or watched this video and think that that is discipleship, whereas on the ground discipleship that you know we experience in our lives is really something very dynamic that isn't so easy to put in a box like that. Um, you know what I mean? And so like the Holy Spirit working through friends, even going through a difficult time or whatever is it's hard to capture in software as a, um, at least I, I kind of conceive of it as a difficult thing to capture in software as like a, oh, there's something, there's discipleship happening here. And it's not something that we maybe have a category for somehow that we're tracking or measuring. So that was kind of more the question I was uh, leaning into. Yeah, technology will never be the leader of of what's successful. It's just a tool that helps come alongside of it and, and augments the abilities. Like our, our job is to not change a pastor, but give them bionics that can help them to understand more about what people are doing, give mm -hmm. them more clarity, but, but never to replace, like, mm -hmm. you know, we can only help not replace and, and technology can't measure everything, but that what we can measure, we should, we should, and, and, 
in the only benefit in only in a benefit to the person. Mm. Hmm. So you know, if you stop attending, that's not a judgment, but it might be a spiritual alert that says this person something might have changed in this person's life journey and maybe speak into it. Um, we kind of joke too, like if you're pastoring a hundred sheep, you want to go after the one lost, but the, the key is you have to know it's lost. Like, is it missing? Like if you have a hundred mm. sheep, how do you know it's missing? Well, technology mm. can say, Oh, by the way, the sheep hasn't been seen in a bit. Like you might want to go have a conversation to make sure that they're okay. Mm, I see. Just to kind of follow up with them, see how the relationship's going. Yeah. Uh, make sure they're right. Cause if they chose to go to another church or something else, then maybe it's not a, not as much of a crisis as if they have a crisis of faith. Right. Like for exa- example, like giving, um, it's a very sensitive topic, but it, it really is a measure of the heart. And so when there's a change to the giving pattern and maybe, you know, we don't, we don't call that a warning. We just call that a follow-up, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, they, they stopped giving. Well, uh, did they lose their job? Uh, did they, did they fall out with the church? And is there some way that we need to go mend that or make sure that they get to another church? Um, it's just a, a, a signal for a follow-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, there's, it's interesting because I think maybe this is where some of my other theological ideas kind of come in and wonder how they play out. Because even with giving, like if you view it, if you view it as uh, one theological paradigm, which is, you know, a tithe to your local church, and then other giving can be on top of that, Mm -hmm. uh, you have a system that ends up one way. And if you view it in in another theological paradigm, which is um, you're investing in God's kingdom and it's like a portfolio that you have in many different mm-hmm. initiatives that aren't tied to a specific 501c3 or institution. It could look, you know, the, the metrics and the alerts might look different. Um, or even a more kind of cross pollination kind of view of the church where people might be involved in multiple ministries from different, you know, different churches, local churches and stuff versus one that's very much, um, you know, top down, like this is the one institution you belong to and you do the programs of that church. I just kind of see it play out differently in how how the software would surface information and track things. And I think I think there's value actually in supporting that cross-pollination as a use case. Yeah, and and all this technology should not be used in the case to judge, like, oh, you stopped giving. But just yeah. to follow up, like even if you're decided that maybe your money was doing more kingdom rewards in another place, the fact that you moved it. Well, maybe that still deserves a follow-up. Maybe we need to hear the input about why that's the case. Or we often talk too that we don't want to not do things for edge cases. So that might be an edge mm-hmm. case that someone did that. But we've we've seen lots of stories where some we followed up because of those things. And it's like, oh yeah, my marriage is like we're going to get we're, we're thinking about splitting up. Wow. And a pastor's been able to talk into that. Um, even like think of, think of another one like uh, attendance. All of a sudden, your attendance drops off. Well, for most churches, that means that your kids aren't coming because we're not taking adult attendance. I see. That could be a lot of things. Well, maybe they aged out, right? Maybe they're 18. Yeah. As someone who's going through that with my kids, that's still a pastoral moment. Like there's still transitions going on in my life that yeah. I'm still coming, but that's alerting them to, to a change in in behavior that's not judgmental, but that might need a pastoral follow-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love your emphasis on that. It's not judgment. It's just kind of like, hey, maybe connect with this person and this relationship. What um, Maybe this can be our last question for the podcast today, which mm-hmm. is, what have you seen COVID do? Because even attendance and stuff, is it measured in terms of live stream viewers now? Or is it still is the software still primary oriented around in-person gatherings? Or does it support hybrid the way that people are using Rock RMS today? What, what have you seen COVID do? And 
what do you project to be the future from your vantage point uh, working with these 650 churches? Yeah, well, the, we've seen, again, diversity in, in strategies amongst churches. But the one thing that has been unifying is the importance of a digital strategy. And so we, we, we kind of talk about, especially during COVID, that um, this technology was a second stage. You know, we used to have the first stage, which was the auditorium. Now we have the second stage, um, okay. which has grown in importance. And it, 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 it will never replace the first stage, hopefully, but it's going to augment that stage and, and do things in different ways. Um, so that's been a, a huge change. Things could shift and, and go back. But I, I think we have to just look at technology and say it's always been here. I mean, you go back to, you know, Paul writing letters was technology. Those letters traveling on roads was technology. And we just need to learn to accept technology to make our strategy better. But we shouldn't necessarily always change the high-level strategy that God's given us. But how do we use this as a tool to to enhance it? Mm -hmm. So, so does that? Do you see kind of a future where you said diversity, and so basically some churches are choosing to go all virtual, some are choosing to go back exclusively in person, some are going hybrid, mm -hmm. and um, and maybe like you said, you know, that's like. The Holy Spirit's giving discernment to different groups in different ways, and and then we'll see how that, how God kind of wraps that up. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think it's good that some are all in in each direction, um, but I think we have to know where technology is good, and that's and that's for tracking and and saying, hey, when are things changing, and how do I follow in and lead into that and and mm -hmm. and communicate through that. It's also good at, at providing content out to people. Like yeah. that's, it's great at that. Um, but we also know what's not so great is, mm. you, you know, I always think at the end of the day, sometime during my life, I need someone who's there to give me a hug. Yeah. Right. When my parents mm. uh, are in the hospital or something like that, technology can't replace that. But yeah. I'm sure they're going to try. There'll be like this technology touch tool and the optimist robot by Tesla that he just announced. <laughs> yeah, but it's not going to be the same. That's not what God planned. So, no. you know, the community side, technology can help with community, but yeah. community also has to be where you can actually be with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next, you know, probably five years in the, in the spiritual space with technology. I think there's going to be a lot of great things, and there's going to be some things that, well, maybe that doesn't work so well, and and mm -hmm. um, we'll have to fail a few times to to learn what's what's the best path. That's that's really great. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts on this topic, and the the only thing that would bug me about some people's answers is that I feel like they're so certain about where this is all going, and I just feel like God's called different people to do different things. And if someone's upset that we shouldn't do online stuff, well, that's great. You not you don't don't do it, and you can service those who need it. And others will do other things, and I just try not to have a strong opinion of on the future because who knows? God's just going to surprise me. That's so true, and it makes me actually think of like Ephesians four, where you know the body uh, speaking the truth in love to one another. The whole body is built up in love, mm -hmm. and it seems like that diversity is essential for us to discern the will of God together as a whole body. And then it just we just need the mechanisms to be able to speak the truth in love to one another. So we share what we're learning, we share how we're failing at our innovations. And then from that, we can learn and kind of get led that way. Definitely.
Yeah. I mean, the whole, this whole metaverse thing is is kind of another thing that's kind of fascinating to see where that's going to go and where it could go in, in some really scary ways and some really maybe positive ways, too. So mm-hmm. that's something I'm trying to be very open about and, you know, experiment with myself, too, just to make sure I understand it before, you know, it's easy to judge it before you don't, before you understand it. Yeah. And it's so novel, too. It's like, I don't think even the people like, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg really, he has a vision, but it's not all fleshed out, you know? Yeah. You don't really... We don't really know what it's going to end up like. And when I talk about it to some people like, oh, but it's so cartoony. It'll never catch on like, oh, that's changing. Like, yeah. it'll be so real that you won't even be able to tell. So prepare for that. But what does it do to human connection? And that's mm. that's my fear is that there might be two societies in the future, those that are plugged in and those that are servicing those that are plugged in. Um, oh, wow. Interesting. Kind of like a matrix dystopia uh, well, I guess Matrix is everyone's plugged in, but yeah. Yeah, it's almost like uh, if you took Wally and and Ready Player One and merged mm-hmm. them, and and because that, I think the addiction is going to be so high that you can basically do anything you want, whenever you want, how you want. Mm-hmm. Like, and if it's immersive and and it feels like life, I think a lot of people are going to be tempted to live in that space. Mm-hmm. And I think there'll be other people who reject it and live lives outside of it but also have to service those who are plugged into it because they're going to need food and other oh, necessities. I see. Yeah, so, that's so interesting. Like I, I was teasing with somebody, it's like they're going to live in a closet because they don't really need space because it's all virtual. They, they live in the palace, but they'll be plugged into a closet with a cartridge for food and a cartridge for waste. And others will go around just changing cartridges like, they don't want yeah. to come they want to they don't want to come out of it why would they ever want to leave that's so i mean it's it's really sad to hear that that to hear that possible future you know um i will say that it's interesting for me because i just recently got married how much happier i am like compared to when i was single even though i'm a believer i mm-hmm. you know i love jesus and he's changed my life but definitely like being single and having friends and having my family wasn't the same as like having my wife um yeah. and I can see how like if I felt stuck in singleness forever, that alternate reality in a metaverse could just feel better than. Yeah. And it sounds crazy until it's good enough where it's, Oh really? What's the difference? I might as well go where I can have my, anything I want. And and even those maybe who are married for a while, it's like, well, I I can have it. I can be completely selfish there. In a marriage, I can't be Mm -hmm. selfish. I have to give and take. And yeah, but I mean, it could be some pretty interesting scenarios. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. But then, yeah. the, if you do plug in, you don't replicate, right? You don't reproduce. So that culture is always going to have to be pulling new people in. Otherwise, it'll just die out. Yeah. At the same time, they're aiming for immortality, right? Uh, research and immortality. Yeah. And, yeah, that's true. Uh, I didn't think about that. Robots try to service everybody, and it's. But it's a future that one it feels very godless but also very mm-hmm. in- inhumane like it doesn't actually help human beings to fulfill uh what we are made to be and yeah. yeah and when i go it you know play in vr it does feel like a, a sense of disconnectedness and, and almost a little bit of darkness so maybe eventually people will realize that i don't like this anymore i need to come back out like we're wired for it and god will speak into it but we might, as a church, need to dive into it too, just to pull people out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. 
or to create those unique experiences that are good in digital, but mm -hmm. don't really, you know, kind of what you were saying earlier, just like there's the physical uh, that computers can't really replace like a hug. And right. then there's stuff that digital is really great for, like broadcasting a sermon or something like that. It's just uh, yeah, living into the medium's advantages and not not taking along with it all of the disadvantages. If I kind of had this thought the other day that say it takes off and we do all of our community groups in in metaverse and because of that geogra geography doesn't matter and I'm having a a really great community with this guy in India and his neighbors having a great community with my neighbor and it's like gosh we could have just not done this and I could have met with my neighbor and he can met with his neighbor and then we have you know this this real life thing too you know <laughs> But I think that we've already experienced that because, like, I have neighbors in my street that I don't hang out with, and I have my church, which is they don't live near me, but you know we yeah. hang out with them instead. So it's kind of a it already it already exists with urbanization and everything else. Um, yeah, so that's it, true. It could very well be that maybe for some reason the Holy Spirit wanted us to interact with people who are further away in India and not with our next door neighbor immediately at this time. I think it, I think that's a possibility. Yeah, it just mag magnifies it when you do actually need that person that comes alongside you and puts your arm around you and says, it's going to be all right. Oh yeah. It's like a, it's like a digital expression versus, and maybe that's good enough. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it sounds like a sci-fi book, but it seems, but even the last two years, you wouldn't it have believed like a sci -fi book. <laughs> yeah. There's no way you would have believed any of this stuff. And I know. yet here it is. And so in my mind, the only thing I'm going to be committing to is I don't know all the answers. Mm -hmm. And uh, my grandfather always used to say, I don't know the questions, let alone the answers. Mm -hmm. I never understood that until I got older. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you so much, John, for joining me on the podcast today. Is there any other last words that you'd like to give to the audience before we uh, end this episode? No, I just think get out there, experiment. Um, if you're interested in Rock RMS, it's a great platform. There's other platforms that are, are out there too. Um, just, but just try something. I think the only thing that we can fail at is doing nothing. And, um, you know, I think, you know, you, you mentioned Tesla, but Elon says it all the time. The only thing that'll get you fired at Tesla engineering side, at least is, is not innovating, is not making mm -hmm. mistakes. And we just need to get out there and, and put the hard effort into it and, and try a few things. That's awesome. Thanks so much, John. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of the Theotech podcast. If you'd like to help support more storytelling around the intersection of faith and technology, you can do so at patreon.com slash theotech. Until next time.